course. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the latest AB Live audio version for thee. Gnostic priest David Perry materialized at the virtual Alexandria to discuss some of our favorite cosmic villains, or maybe friends, in the Bible and ancient traditions. Are they extraterrestrials or spiritual wickedness in high places? Can a modern mystic viewpoint shed light on these entities? Or can we just lean on the perennial wisdom of such giants as Swedenborg, Jung, and others? David also shared his work as a contemporary Valentinian reverend navigating the extremes of orthodox religion and runaway materialism. As a bonus for all subscribers, I'll include a robust dose of David Perry's last interview, where he focused more on modern Valentinian Gnosticism and heterodox religion in general. Bigly Gnosis, I say, I say. Thank you as always to those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. You are amazing and your support, company, and feedback help grow this Red Pill Cafeteria. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom, or many of my guests and their unique insights, anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, commercial, audiobook, documentary, video game, or whatevs. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. Christianity wasn't a done deal. At first, there were many trends and people wouldn't agree. One was Valentinus, which appeared during the second century AD. And it is based on a very simple concept. What kind of God would create a world like ours where there's war and pain? Didn't he consider there was no God? And everything's our own fault? Mm -hmm. 
No, Valentinus believed the world we live in was created by a cruel god, and slightly stupid. A god that will send you plagues, or requires sacrifices, or destroys Babylon. He wasn't wrong about that. The bastard had a mean temper. Humans can escape this world, and return to the real one. The kingdom. And for that, you needed to achieve the Gnosis, which could be described as true knowledge. That's what they did at the mine. Kill themselves to go to the other world. But not everyone can do it. According to Gnosticism, there are three types of human beings. The perfect ones. Their spirit rules over the flesh, and they are the ones summoned to open the gates to the kingdom. The psychics. They are not aware of the deception, but they can learn by following a perfect one. And then there are the somatics for whom salvation is impossible. The material world dominates them, and so... They're doomed. I guess that's you and me. And we are live. Welcome, everybody, to the Desert of the Real. I am Miguel Connor, and I am your Pompadus of Gnosis. We are down to another rabbit hole. Welcome, everybody, again. This is April Fools, and the perfect day for this show. What did the BG saying? I started a joke and started the whole world crying. What did uh, Robert Frost say? Forgive, oh Lord, my little jokes on thee, and I'll forgive thy great big one on me. And the and the Gnosticism parody mockery and all that is necessary because the simulation is truly a joke. On an interesting side note, April 1st is 2022. It's 10 year, it's my 10 year anniversary since my last relapse of drugs. So uh, by some providence, I have been 10 years clean this time around and uh, it's very excited. That is no joke, that is the true. I, <laughs> I sobered up on 2012, April 1st. So, but anyway, glad to see people are already getting into the chat room. Regardless of being April 1st, just sit back, enjoy the ride, put on your favorite Eddie Rabbit tune in the background, uh, whatever you want to do. And just, uh, we've got a great show tonight and a lot of good news going on. So without further ado, I would like to welcome back the Reverend David Perry. How are you, David? And thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, I, I trust you and Lance are felicitous. Um, yeah, pretty cool, pretty happy. Um, in third world Britain with increasing political and economic problems, which could have been avoided, but that's a different issue. Um, yeah, I'm... <laughs> I'm okay. You know, April Fools in this neck of the woods tended to just be the morning. I mean, the tradition was you'd walk up to to blind strangers and do things like pinch and punch for the first of the month, and no returns, as they say in in the schoolyard. Um, I, I think if you did that that heartwarming custom these days, you'd probably be laid out. <laughs> um, but yeah, in this part of the world, it was only the mornings, and you'd all go off for a civilized luncheon and maybe a pint or two afterwards although it's lovely to see how the custom varies in different parts of the world very very happy with your news that's a, a man's achievement um and yeah i, I love aeon bite what can i say cool show 
<laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, what's the? There's a meme going around that says uh, April Fools is the one time out of the year where people use their critical judgment for news and other. It's the one time of the year that people just don't buy the propaganda. We're suspicious of anything, which we should be the rest of the year. Suspicious of any news or information out there, especially on the internet. So. Um, but somebody who's always for the joke and who's always skeptical, thank God, and that is the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I just joined the Unarius movement and traded in my car for Flying Saucer, which I bought from the Archon. So, And uh, yeah. by the way, our custom here in the United States is on April Fool's, the politicians tell the truth for the whole morning. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> believes them either. Right. <laughs> what a... What and mess. it's still morning here in California, and it's still morning uh, by you, right, uh, mm -hmm. Miguel? Because it's 11 o'clock by you, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're five past five in, in the, the, the waning empire. So. <laughs> the oh, waning it's waning out empire. there? <laughs> oh, and good, good riddance to it. It caused too much trouble in its heyday, and it's still causing troubles now. Go, Absolutely. go, go. Yeah. Yeah, well, the American empire is also waning too, but uh, yeah, it's causing a lot of trouble as it is, and it's been causing a lot of trouble. So we'll yeah. see where it goes. As Philip K. Dick said, the empire never ended. So we'll see where the hologram shifts. Maybe it'll shift to your house, David, and you can be the emperor of this world. Oh, I can't imagine anything more terrible. I mean, in real geopolitical terms, I mean, remember, I do a lot of work with Central Asia. And actually, I'm still in heavy contact with all of my Russian friends. Very different view of what's going on at the present. Surprisingly different. So the the the, the evil hand of propaganda is certainly weaving the British press. Mm -hmm. But if you look at um, you know those parts of the world and what they're saying, their fear. How about this? In Central Asia, their fear is that the American Empire wanes too quickly and power passes speedily to, to Beijing, mm. um, and they can't imagine anything more terrible. I'll, I'll, okay, am I allowed to give a weird little anecdote quickly? Of course. Yeah, yeah, please um, do. A, oh, thank you. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was at the University of Osh in Kyrgyzia, which is this paradisial country. I mean, the, the spectacles of nature are beyond belief. Uh, people go there for food tourism across the Russian Federation. It's, it, you know, it's not even got to the stage where you need to label anything organic because it's organic. Right? The flavors, uh, the size of, of the meals, unbelievable. They eat and they drink till they drop. Um, I was an, in the university chatting away, talking about poetry, as is my want. And I noticed the Chinese cultural attache was being given a cold shoulder. And I thought, that's odd because you always get the impression over here they're all hand in glove together, and the Kyrgyz were clearly, you know, almost turning their backs on this really, really significant guest. So I went over there and said, well, you know, God, what's going on here? And he said, oh, they don't like us. And I said, well, his, you know, making a flippant European remark, oh, history and all that sort of stuff. And he said, no, it's not that. It's because we're building robotic trains uh, along a new Silk Road um, and they're at the stage now of building each other and repairing themselves, and they don't even need to talk to human beings. And the Kyrgyz are worried that it completely, uh, you know, bypasses their, econ mm. their economy and all the concerns that they've got, humanitarian concerns. And that's why they're not speaking to me. So I thought, oh, well, they, they might have a point then. 
you know, when you get to the stage, the, the trains don't even need to talk to human beings. And you'll be, you'll be able to get, they are saying, in the space of hours from China to Europe, that really changes everything. And with their human rights record and the way they treat minorities, I mean, that for me is equally scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I'm sure uh, China doesn't have a good record on gay rights, do they, David? Um, no, I mean, we're, we're, we're diagnosed as, as sick, and then we go to a sanatorium, and then our organs are harvested. Jesus, um, right. So that's what happens in China, uh, unless you're a huge, you know, there's no aristocracy in China. So unless you're a party official, and, you know, you can stand in the, in the great meeting, they all have once a year and say, I'm gay, and they're, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Um, Rules for me, but not for me. <laughs> you know, the new emperor, if he says it, then there's no worry. But if anybody else says it, no. I mean, like the Uyghurs. I mean, I've got lots of Uyghur friends. A lot of them are over here because they're incredibly rich in their culture, their music, their art. And what they're trying to do is not only reduce the entire nation physically. Yes, that does sound like, you know, I'm trying to avoid the word because I don't want to upset my friends. But it, as it sounds, that is what they're doing. So they're wiping out entire populations. And weirdly, the organ donation and organs for sale on the black market is rocketing through the roof. Okay. So we have to be very careful. Not your ordinary Chinese guy and gal. No, no one's ever talking about that. But on very, very dangerous political elites that care about nothing. I'll say one more thing, Miguel, then, I, then I'll shut up and hand, hand you back. Uh, a friend of mine is a, a great playwright over there. I mean, he used to be Minister of Culture, uh, Sultan Rayo. And I was sat at his dinner table an, an evening or two after that meeting. And he said, look, look, look why didn't we talk to this guy? You know, uh, we're all Abrahamists. Now, you know, people can take from that what they want. So, you know, it all comes from the prophet Abraham, Abraham whatever that means. And he said, you know, if a Chinese soldier is told to go and execute somebody, he'll shoot them in the back of the head and it won't be wrong. If a Kyrgyz or a Central Asian soldier, a Kazakh soldier, goes, is told to execute someone, he'll shoot them through the back of the head. But deep down, he will know it is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that is an ontological difference. You cannot just escape that level of right and wrong. There's something intuitive, no matter what modern discourse says, there's something intuitive, but they won't recognize it. They won't register it. They've gone through this process of training whereby that simply doesn't arise anymore. And that is modern day China. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And for the audience, a uh, cool side note, it should be mentioned that the Uyghur, when they had an empire for a while, they were Manichaean until that was suppressed. I believe when the Chinese, somebody took over in the, the bloodbath that is human history. But it's an interesting side note. Side note. Well, let's get to uh, let's get to the show. Uh, I think again, as Aeon Byte, uh, we can get to that wickedness in high places, as Paul talked about. Then we can cut off the source and hopefully transform human thought for uh, to stop all this insanity. Like you said, propaganda in Russia. I'm sure it's bad. The propaganda in the West is just as bad with Telegraph and the Guardian. I mean, both sides are just they're just really piling the the bullshit on and it's up to us to again be critical as we talk on this april fool's day tell them that we know that the joke is on us and we're about to give them a little better uh ditties and stories than they could possibly have and that's our job here at aeon biden and hopefully others in the alternative media for the audience you know the drill if you have any questions for david please write them in all caps questions 
write a lot of questions so that Vance can get to you. If you have a super chat, of course, we will put you at the top. But we do try very hard. Vance works very hard to get to everybody's question. And sometimes we're just not going to do it. And we do apologize. But this is the nature of the game. Yes, the topic today is the Nephilim. I don't have much news for you. Uh, great shows coming on April. We've got shows on uh, Robert Johnson and the Crossroad, the blue mystical side of the blues. We've got shows on LaVey and the Church of Satan. We've got shows on the Illuminati. Vince and I actually joined finally after all these years. we got shows on, uh, yes, yeah, so many cool topics. Mary Magdalene. Jason Reza Drajani will come back to talk about his novel, The Uberman. So varied variety is the spice of gnosis. So hang on to your to your seats. Hang on to your knickers if you can, your, your orthodox knickers. But enough of me. David, we talked about uh, getting you on to talk about uh, one of the, besides the Archons, one of the favorite villains in the occult circles, the Nephilim. So tell us about, I guess it starts with your conference. Tell the audience about this conference you are you are the architect of. Uh, firstly, I need to explain, <clears throat> excuse me, something from, uh, since you're both friends of mine, and hopefully it's a similar sort of crowd turning up from uh, you know, an anomaly from my last talk on this show. Um, <clears throat> I did use the name Valentinius for Valentinus. Um, that I was told was a mystery. And do you know they haven't told me what it is? How many years ago was that show? And it's about... <laughs> what it's word about did you use? Valentinius. Because inside the stream I'm in, you right. don't say Valentinus, you say Valentinius. Now, remember, that's um, an Italian Gnostic stream. Mm. And they would claim that that's a particular type of configuration for a particular purpose. I lost contact with them. <clears throat> they got so uh, they got cold feet. Um, they're not speaking to me openly at the minute. Excuse me. <clears throat> I'll have a sip of water in a moment. <clears throat> um, they were worried about the present activities of the Vatican. Um, I think in the, you know Anglo-American circles, you always get to think you know Pope Francis, old cuddly liberal, uh, mostly not completely. Um, you know, so why are they feeling threatened? Curiously, they did feel threatened, and they cut off all communication with me. Mm. So at the moment, that side of my life is sort of a bit of a one-man band, which I'm a little sad about. And it means I can't unravel those mysteries further until they tell me what's going on and why they did that. Anyway, let's get to the... the, the right. um, so, get to well, the we can still do Valentino. We'll just have to talk with an Italian accent. Valentino's, oh, mamma mia, que pasa with the demiurgos. Yeah. Le leave, but leave slowly. Leave, leave. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... Architect. Well, I'll give you a potted history of Nephilim anthropology. I mean, when I'm not wearing yay, um, my other hat is in British theatre, as I think you all know. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see a complete division between the two because what I'm trying to do personally is either put on metaphysical work or works with a moral imperative that sometimes show the so-called good authorities in a very bad light indeed. Maybe that's what I'm a theatrical pariah, who knows? Um, so there's a crossover point in all of that. Uh, to keep body and soul together, um, sometimes we, between projects, I mean, I've directed and produced nine major major plays so far. Uh, I'm not in a you know, daily in the business because I can't imagine anything more awful, you know, having to stand up and slap Will Smith across the face, you know, absolutely awful. 
Um, you know, is it only me that agrees with Jim Carrey? I think that's really unacceptable. Career building on that level is really, really totally unacceptable. Some people, right, this is theatrical, David speaking. Some people work very, very hard to get to that night to make a lot of personal sacrifices. And his shadow is now over all of it. I think it's a disgrace. I really do. Anyway, anyway. So we put on conferences. We put on events sometimes either poetry related or, you know, weird stuff related. Um, and it was actually in 2013 that this was meant to kick off. Uh, I was speaking to the uh, Estonian author, uh, researcher, anthropologist, Vladimir Wiedemann, a very big name in that part of the world, not so much here, unfortunately, about, you know, I wanted to do something on giantism. And he said, oh, you know, let, let's, why not Nephilim, why not the new anthropology? I mean, he was one of those people actually involved in the new anthropology at, at Moscow State University in the early to mid-80s. They are arguably the first people to start coming along and saying, hang on, you're not just looking at cavemen, Cro-Magnons, Homo sapiens. Actually, the picture is much richer. And you have big guys, you have small guys, and you have nearly everything in the middle. And they were collecting archaeological evidence to that effect. Of course, that's still when the old, not the new Cold War, when the old Cold War <laughs> was still raging. Um, and uh, basically, the scholars couldn't get the funding to come over here. We couldn't get the funding to go over there. So it actually didn't go that far. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. You know, you're physically, actually, professionally involved in all that. Let's put something on. Another weird story for this afternoon. Um, so I was talking to my band of intimates, uh, which includes the Reverend Jim Wilhelmson. How about that? Um, uh, queer, queer pastor has friends who are conservative evangelicals. Hey, what can you do? What can you do? <laughs> um, who said to me something cryptic and mystical. Um, oh, Nephilim, they don't like being talked about. You know, I said, yeah, 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 evangelical nonsense. Uh, two weeks, two, two weeks later, the entire project had collapsed. Um, our completely out of the blue, um, our modest credit line with the bank had been with, was withdrawn with no explanation given whatsoever. We'd been booking flights, we'd been hiring accommodation. I went to have it out personally with the branch manager and was told it's for your good. How is that for our good? Hmm. How is that for a good? We've got a project with people flying in from America. And they promised they'd uh, basically put us back online before the date, and they didn't. So the whole thing came crashing down around us. Um, so that was 2013, and it was basically the year before last that my partner said, actually, that was quite a good idea. Why don't we, re we revive that? And I was a bit skeptical, thinking, you know, in this day and age, you know, day and age of conspiracies and ancient aliens and things floating around in the sky does anybody want to talk about it back then it would have been quite groundbreaking i'm not so sure it is now although maybe we still are in a different way mm -hmm. um so i thought well, okay let's give it a spin we started last april as a virtual conference to my absolute horror we sold out virtual tickets um it was about a nine hour seven hour nine hour day it nearly killed my partner myself <laughs> it was a test run you know to see if it would work or not uh, we, were, we were nearly physical wrecks by the time the day had gone. Um, it worked. So I thought, okay, let's take the next tentative step um, because this year will be our first meeting as I originally envis envisioned it. 
So we tried a, a trial run of a hybrid event. The one thing the lockdowns have done for me is convinced me they're good ideas for theatrical types. You can have an audience the other side of the planet, provided they're coordinated with the time, and really enrich the entire experience for, for everybody. It's the one and only good thing. Um, we went to the Royal Asiatic Society. I have the very great honor of being ele an elected fellow there because of my work with Central Asia. Um, we tried it out again. Uh, huge interest from all sorts of people, born again Christians, new age types, truth seekers. And the unique selling point, the USP of our conference is that we're not interested in a point of view. What we want to do is look across the board to see what different people are saying about this phenomena, biblical mysteries, uh, uh, mythologies, literatures, you know, what different people are saying about something that's global. The idea of giantism is global and what it might have meant. Um, I got into the weird position last uh, last October of having to frog march a born again Christian to the door, as I was telling Miguel off air recently. Um, I'm sorry, there's such a thing as good manners. You know, if you're shouting down a speaker, no, you can't stay. It's really as simple as that. I sort of turned a, a deaf ear at first to the whole thing. She wouldn't stop. Uh, yeah, right, it may not be your opinion, darling, but it's not their opinion, okay? So I found myself doing what I hadn't done since my years of, of the Edinburgh Festival, of escorting someone to the door and giving them the old heave-ho and get out and don't come back. <laughs> you know, so that was, that was, but it showed me one thing, that how how is this possible, you two? Tensions are still running high about subjects like the Nephilim and interest. It's still running high. And what they don't like, the more narrow minded amongst our associates, is anybody else saying anything else. And I thought, oh, we still have that cutting edge. We still have that, you know, metal against metal gravitas to what we're doing. So that was a success this year. Um, it's a two day event because we've learned from our previous uh, uh, trial runs. It will be at the David Gain College, a wonderful venue in East London, North East London, on the Saturday, Saturday the 29th of October, and hopefully at Rudolf Steiner House um, near Baker Street on Sunday the 30th. Much more close-knit, much more convivial, and I think we're having a Sunday roast together with some of the speakers. So the idea wasn't simply about Nepalim, if this answers your question, Miguel. It was actually about giantism and, and what that meant. My own personal view, which I don't want to talk too much about, because all I do at the conference is, is give something called the Steve Ash Memorial Lecture in memory of a, a very good old friend of mine who passed over far too early, Steve Ash, the occultist, the, the political anarchist, um, a man who believed that the human condition and this world could be a much better place, a much better thing. He's sorely missed by all of us. So I give that. And all I do is give an outline uh, of the conference and, you know, what the speakers are going to say, but nothing else. I mean, my own personal view uh, as a minister is that it does say very clearly these are biblical mysteries. Right, before we do that, I want, I want to put the, the Bible quotes, and then we can tackle that, David. Yep. So you heard it, audience, October, check it out. It's hybrid if you want to go in. And, uh, yeah, whether we like it or not, the Nephilim have really captured the imagination of everybody. Like you said, conservative Christians, people in the occult. Not, I mean, 
there is either something we can discuss as something, some archetypal force, some unconscious, maybe it's true, maybe it's aliens, maybe it's our desire to know that we are being controlled. There's so many ways to approach it and it's just enticing. So, but the, for everybody to see, I got it here. And that's the interesting part is that uh, the giants or the Nephilim really only appear in two parts of the Bible. And I want to put them right here. They appear in Genesis 6-4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children with them. They were the heroes of all men of renown. And of course, the Book of Enoch, which has also captured the interests of all arenas, goes further into this. Some say, yeah, the Nephilim are just these ancient, powerful warriors. They are giants. Unfortunately, Nephilim is such an obscure term. We don't know if it's fallen angel or giant. So maybe uh, making it obscure is what entices people. And then uh, you have... Um, in Numbers 2, I don't want you to be a ticker. Hold on a second. Don't be a ticker. Where are they? Let's see right here. Numbers 13, 32. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came of the Nephilim. And we were in our own side as grasshoppers. And so we were in in their side so those are the two places where we find the nephilim they appear obviously again in the book of enoch and there's been a million ways of trying to dissect them so david what would you what is your stance on this or how would you explain it i mean if you're obviously a valentinian and a follower of swedenborg you're probably going to be what uber allegorical and symbolical on this, right? Because that's how Valentinus and Swedenborg would approach the Old Testament. <laughs> Look, what can I say? I, I, as I say in this part of the world, I've been nicked, I've been rumbled. Yes, of course. For <laughs> me, it's uh, it's to do with archetypes. It's to do with you know sort of metaphorical forces, not simply metaphorical. It's to do with the the stuff of religion. I mean, what tends to frustrate me about the ancient aliens mob um, isn't the fact they're talking about these things. Good on them. I mean, I remember reading Chariots of the Gods by Eric von Daniken at school and having had a great time. You know, it, it's what they're doing post that. I mean, they're reducing religion to sort of bits of stuff floating around in the skies and bewildered aliens coming out and wondering what, the, what on earth is going on. Um, as opposed to the inward journey and mystical experience, which is really what religion is all about, it's not a history book. It's not meant to be. It's not. It's not a, a very badly written book of technologies. It's, it's not that. Um, you need to get Jungian. You need to get uh, Valentinian. You need to realise that the inward journey. Uh, you know what do religious books talk about? The inward journey. Do they mention those other things sometimes? Yes, but that's not their primary purpose. Their primary purpose as works of literature is to discuss the within. Um, the only time I'm sort of hoisted on a slightly different petard is I like Blavatsky. Um, you know, it's in volume two of The Secret Doctrine where she starts talking uh, overtly about Nephilim and realising what hardly anybody else does. I mean, what a masterpiece that book really is in both volumes, you know. Um, that, you know, you're looking at the, and I go for this one, I go for this one, you know, the, the arc of spirit, pure spirit is descending on an evolutionary, not devolutionary. I mean, it's devolutionary in the sense 
but it's coming into matter, but not overall. I mean, it's an arc and spirit is aware of that. It's descending through all the various densities, as you'd say these days, to realize something about itself. Um, and you get giant forces from Lemuria. Um, I think they'd have been so abstract and so energetic, you know, pure energy beings, uh, metaphors. Please don't anybody jump on your metaphors. What else do you say? Um, you know, they're pure fields of consciousness uh, and they're trying to take form and they're trying to hold on to here. And really, when you get to the Atlanteans in her view, much more physically powerful than us, more robust, much larger than us, uh, with civilizations of their own, much more advanced than us, that they too, I mean, at the beginning of that whole period, they too aren't really as physical as people like us, but by the end of that period, they are physical. And really that's, she would say, forgive me, Theosophist, if you're looking, I'm paraphrasing rapidly, massively, <laughs> uh, that that really is the origin of the Nephilim stories. And I can go for that, you know, spiritual energies coming into, into play in our universe and interacting with our physical universe in the only ways that they can for their own purposes. I can go along with that. But, you know, the, the, as I say, you know, for me, if you're, if you're forgetting the inner journey, the, the allegory, the myth, the symbol, you've really forgotten what books like the Bible or the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita are actually trying to do. I mean, my additional problem with someone like von Daniken, you know, and more power to him, more power to him, is that it's not good enough to talk about Ezekiel's vision of wheels within wheels and leave it there. I mean, the gods riding on that chariot is very clearly described. Um, and it reads rather like the god Apollo. So it's not little little grey men coming around and poking things and weighing and measuring things. The god is actually very clearly described. Um, and also, you know, the wheels within wheels. I mean, so, you know, people are forgetting their grasp of poetry. A month is a wheel, a season is a wheel, and only a god can ride on a chariot that actually has that type of wheel. So, you know, there are there are more primary ways of, of reading these texts that are to do with the inner journey. So in other words, what's the vision of Ezekiel? What is nature, these great cycles of nature telling us about the soul and the spirit and where we're journeying? So is that any answer to you, Miguel? Yeah, for me, allegory, allegory, that's me. <laughs> that's a, yeah. Again, you, Valentinus, Swedenborg, uh, St. Augustine, that all, Jung would too, but then towards the end, I think he, like he said, uh, these flying objects do have a uh, ontological existence. They can appear on radar. They can't force, a, you know, they have energy. And Jung actually wrote the CIA wanting to know more about that. So there is, it's not either or these, you know, an egregore, a thought form, an idea can be interactive with other things. And Jung even said uh, archetypes uh, are quasi-sentient. They can manifest in our world and change reality. So I know it's subtle and people don't like that word, subtle or nuance, but it's the way it's the way we have to start thinking. We can't just think, like you said, little green men probing our butts out here, or we can't think of it's all just a story that the ancients invented. So it's... BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then... 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. There's a middle path to these things. And um, Vince, do you have a question for David? Or uh, does the audience have a question for David? Yeah, we got one question so far. I was going to mention that even materialism is allegorical if you really look mm. at it, right? Yeah. Because, um, you know, we're, well, things aren't solid. We Actually, if you believe physics, there's electromagnetic forces. And even the description of physics is an allegory, a symbolic allegory. Look at chemistry, physics. We, we describe it in terms of mathematical symbols, right? That's another allegory. So it's just a matter of which level of allegory you pick. So having said that, Oswald yeah. Spengler wanted to know, and I guess this is getting in, uh, starting us into our discussion of the Nephilim's characteristics. Um, do you think, Reverend Perry, that the rhesus negative folks, you know, RH negative, have any connection to the Nephilim and or ancient aliens? Um, Oswald Spengler, I remember reading you at university. I thought you were dead. The Oswald Spengler. <laughs> He's the um, next I'm version. Very, <laughs> I'm very pleased we're still in contact. I enjoyed your books, no one. Um, I think I know who you are. I think I know who you are. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, you're asking the wrong person on the panel. I mean, I assiduously... I don't know anything about this, yeah. Well, I assiduously, as the, as the founding producer, as they'd say in the biz, you know, I try and stick clear, keep clear as far as I can of our true stars, all of which have a different opinion uh, on this topic. Um, certainly, I think the Reverend Jim Wilhelmson has quite a sort of physicalist view and i think gary wayne because he's also uh, a born-again conservative i believe i think they are the people on the panel that actually look in that direction um i have heard i've obviously i've heard about there's a connection with certain types of blood and certain you know blood groupings that are meant to be linked with giantism um i i'm not uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not a biologist. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, and yes, I'm sure because some people, physical people in recent history have been inordinately tall. And that does, it's not always a recessive gene. It's not always an anomaly. Sometimes it runs in families. Therefore, where does that come from? How is that triggered? For me, it doesn't necessarily mean ancient aliens and little gray men probing everybody. Um, you know, and, and can't they get over that? I mean, haven't they learned enough by now 
you know, to just get on with whatever they're doing. Like, for God's sake. Um, you know, I'm aware of that. Um, and I'm aware of the... Language. As long as the aliens bring you flowers first before the probe. <laughs> is that what you're saying? This... Well, how, how much do you get for alimony? Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, um, so I'm aware of the connection on a medical level. I, I certainly myself couldn't be drawn into saying that all of a sudden we found a biochemical trigger mechanism linking us back to aliens and giants. I couldn't say that with my hand on my heart. But uh, the, the caveat to that is I'm not one of the people on the panel that's an expert in those fields, um, and I would leave it to them. So, yes, I'm aware that there's a link between blood types and giantism. Can we go further than that? I personally would not, but I know some people who would. Okay. I got a good one for you. Nephilim versus archons. Do you think they're the same thing? Um, my God, there's a battle royal. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, firstly, taking up your point, Vance, I mean, you know, if you go back to the, the old days of the Soviet Union, which could be horrendous, I mean, a nightmare on stilts, let's face it. Mm -hmm. But some of the founding ideas are incredible. Um, you know, the thirst for social justice, which led up to the nightmare, is actually incredible. And, you know, the sort of ideologies that were floating around in that pregnant and very evolutionary period. Remember, I'm talking about the process leading up to not the actual evil empire. Um, you know, they, would, they started saying things like, well, do we really know what the potentialities of matter are? I mean, right, we're using that as the base block. But what is it? You know, and how far can it go and how many levels has it got? I mean, when you start going down that route, all of a sudden you're sort of coming from one side to Jungian's sentient archetypes, and they seem to be meeting a certain point of interconnection there, which is very, very interesting. Um, <laughs> um, archons must be lords of things. Uh, they must be controllers. They must be immensely powerful entities no matter what ontology we give them um who descend from deity deity really cannot be used in any other word apart from an absolute i mean i've seen it nowadays you talk about god's deities that's actually quite incorrect there's only one deity the absolute beingness i mean so, um, archons in their emanatory process downward uh, would still hold sway over the sphere of activity, the sphere of consciousness, the density, whatever, whatever, whatever that they are that they are born into and that they represent. Uh, that is not really the case with Nephilim. I mean, certainly, it's unwise. I mean, the, you know, the complex of Bible stories. If you listen to the evangelicals, put it that way, um, the flood occurred because uh, the Almighty wanted to wipe out uh, a problem with the genetic pool. I mean. That's got me worried all credit. Um, you wipe out a problem with the genetic pool by drowning everybody. Um, so that that has me, yeah, that has me. It doesn't have you too worried. It has me worried. Um, so I, just, I don't think it has you too worried. It really has me worried. Um, you know, so, and they do turn up afterwards again. I mean, you know, it's not correct to say they're not there. They're not necessarily named in that particular way, but you get the Rephaim, you get the Anakim, uh, you get strange hadith secondary commentaries around the crucifixion yes they are they do the research you know talking about the mighty bulls of bashan that strikes me as different ways of talking about the nephilim 
Um, it's unwise to make uh, a very clear distinction that's made in Genesis 6. Those who fly above, they are not the Nephilim. Those who fly above, in some ancient renditions, as I was saying to Miguel recently, even the word angeloi is, is used grudgingly. They don't really want to use that word. Some scholars are now saying that's not the appropriate word in the original. What they would have said was blah, 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 blah. Um, and you end up with all sorts of variants. No, I mean, those that fly above were the real powers. They appear to be like the Nephilim, uh, like the Archons. And it, of course, it's they that make the misdemeanor a cosmic error by interacting in, I mean, is it sex? I mean, it's so, so for me, it's not clear. And what type of sex is it? You know, they know the daughters of men, a forbidden thing. And it's that union which actually gives birth to forbidden things, to offshoots, to the Nephilim. So the Nephilim themselves certainly, in my view, wouldn't be archons. Those who fly above, that is such a strange description. The Watchers um, or the Egregorian yeah, Greek. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, and that really, I wish we were paying, if I was a contributor, if I was a panelist on my own panel, then that's what I'd be talking about because I think everybody's missing the real fascination of this story. Who and what is that? And what was the transgression? I mean, because it seems to be such a potent anomaly, a conscious, deliberate rejection of something that it caused all this mayhem afterwards. Isn't that fascinating? Whereas the Nephilim are, are the, the heroes, the mighty men of renown, the demigods of the ancient world, going around looking cool and beating each other up. Uh, you know, I think, <laughs> no, I mean, certainly they wouldn't be synonymous for me with the archons, but that might be the Valentinian in me speaking, as opposed to other other people with other paths. Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting because obviously in uh, apocryphal texts, these uh, these watchers and the Nephilim, they're the ones who teach women makeup. They're the ones who give the ideas of science and art. So ultimately, you can't see them as Promethean or as Hermes or even as Sophia. These this trickster archetype that. He hears the fire from the divine and it's gonna light the way but it's also gonna burn your ass yeah. it's a double-edged sword and you humans need to figure this out yeah. also if you want to get super allegorically allegorical you always say you know people get angry or they you know especially in the occult community where they're trying to cancel zeus because he's such a, a horn dog going chasing skirts but so are the watches right but this is a great allegory that when the sky comes down, the inform the heavens, the information for the heavens, it's always going to go to the woman because the woman, they're the depository of wisdom, the medicine, the magic, the astrology. So this information allegorically is going to make women pregnant with this information. And the women are the ones who give birth to this information for the tribe. So, yeah, divine comes down to the woman. This information is dangerous. You don't want it. It's going to destroy your life like you're being raped. But you're going to give birth to these demigods, this information. That's going to help the tribe advance and move. It's a great responsibility of women. So I know this is like uber allegorical, and I don't want to give Zeus a pass. Don't get me wrong, but just saying. Yeah. What happened to the female Nephilim? You know, they must <laughs> be mad. 
<laughs> yeah, they were the, they're the ones who would ask directions to come down to Earth, not the mail. <laughs> to Nephilim. Yeah, yeah. Now, careful, you two. The brilliant beginning is verging into sexism now. Be careful. <laughs> yes, that is true. We'll be canceled. <laughs> All right, back to the questions. Yeah, back to uh, any other questions, Vance? Uh, let's see. That's that's uh, all I see right now. But here's a question I would have for you, David. Yeah. Um, what do you? How do you explain the concept of evil? Because the Nephilim are interesting because it shows us again how did evil come into the world. Same with the Archons, and it could again it could be a mixed bag. You introduce Gnosis and Enlightenment. Yeah. It's a double-edged sword that will burn you, but also light the way. So the Nephilim are great because it really approaches evil in so many different ways for each individual. But how would you say is the idea of evil? And in Swedenborg, Swedenborg believed in evil spirits and how hell can the powers of hell can corrupt our mind and make our ego gigantic. So tell us. I know it's a... <laughs> Thank you for the small ones first. Yeah, um, let's get out of the way. <laughs> I mean, there are whole libraries dealing with this issue. Um, well, here's oh, a question. Do you believe in sp evil spirits out there? Yes. Disembodied spirits that are up to no good. Okay. Yeah. But that must be taken within a much bigger agnostic context. By mm -hmm. the way, what you said a minute ago was beautiful about wisdom descending into the woman. I think that's absolutely beautiful and probably historically traceable. Um, we, you know, in our desperate patriarchal need, oh God, am I sounding too gay, sorry, in our desperate patriarchal <laughs> need uh, for the last 2,000 years uh, uh, to actually make men the be-all and end-all, uh, we really do need, and I don't think it's quite what the feminists are saying. I mean, if you look back at the records, really you find a warrior goddess at the beginning, you don't find a fika mother. So then you've got to start asking mm -hmm. why... Why are they talking about uh, a warrior goddess and not Mother Earth, not you know, Mother Nature? Um, and uh, right, I'm going to get a bit bit highfalutin on you both for a minute. I mean, at, at university, I don't know how ministers train in America. Um, I, I majored in Hinduism and minored in Buddhism well. <laughs> because I wanted to find out what other people were saying, uh, which was included in my training. So I don't know what happens over there. I mean, we started reading the... Uh, uh, piranhas um and i was just blown away there's one called uh the markandeya piranha um which is talking about a female absolute female deity and all the gods get together because buffalo now buffalo is the origin of error uh buffalo has wandered into this type of cosmos which it has no right doing and it's causing trouble simply because it's wandered into the wrong place in the wrong way you know, it just shouldn't be there. And what the gods do, realizing their inadequacy before this mighty beast, is actually generate all their shaktis together, the female energies, that become one goddess, the Devi, the Devi Mahatmya. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only she that has the authority and power to put Buffalo back where he should be. That, for me, was an eye-opener on questions of evil. Um, you know, I'd read previously, you know, evil is good, misunderstood, you know, the great poetic statement of, you know, uh, what are we talking about when we, you know, about evil, when we're talking about evil? Um, oh, God, how do I get into this? Um, certainly, I'm not denying 
Right, let's do this a different way. I think Gnostics are at their worst. Modern Gnostics are at their worst when they're talking about good and evil because they side with the counter, the counterpoint, and not realizing that the counterpoint is simply rebellion. I mean, there are lots of things against that type of uh, Abrahamic tradition which simply are malevolent and toxic. So, you know, it's far too simple to say this story is the source of so many problems. What I'm now doing is standing by another story. I think that's dangerous. Um, is this me being, a, I was called it a couple of years ago, a Valentinian, what was it, a vanilla Valentinian. Yes, I confess, I confess. But, yeah. I love good things. I love good, beautiful and true things, I, I confess. Um, and that's the bithos, of course. Um, for me, Alexander Pope uh, was on the right lines. Most of it is something that's misunderstood or before its time. Uh, for instance, when Swedenborg is talking about the hell worlds, um, he links it in with notions of judgment. The judgments are not eternal. They may seem eternal to the spirits within the hell worlds for one simple reason. Those spirits have put themselves there. Nobody else does. Nobody else has. Um, you know, there's there's the story that, you know, how many people did Christ save? Remember, it's an allegory when he descended into hell during Easter, on Easter Saturday, when he descended into hell, how many people did he take back to heaven with him? Is it now empty or is it now hard, you know, hardly anybody? Certainly Swedenborg does believe in toxicity. Um, at the moment in the type of culture we're living in, it's very hard not to believe in certain types of toxicity. Uh, some people, you know, uh, what was it? Oh God, why choose the imp of the perverse? It was, um, it was Alexander, no, 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 Edgar Allan Poe that said that. You know, we won't understand the true mystery of the human condition until we know why some people would choose to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. um, therefore, I can't say there are no evils in the sense we normally mean by that word. But what I am saying certainly is there's a bigger picture. And to me, even the holy scriptures of the world are actually talking about something of an error uh, you know, something of an error in very high places that somehow has a trickle-down effect into lower planes. And by the time it gets here, you're looking at something Manichaean in the wrong sense, you know, yes, no, right, wrong, good, mm. bad, light, darkness, which it simply isn't on, on the plane of origination. And whatever the error is, I mean, it's, it's, it strikes me that even in the Hindu material, you're looking at something almost like a, an equation, you know, something in the equation didn't manage to work out and it's working on it whatever these intelligences are they're trying to work out the, the you know how does it reach zero it will reach zero in such and such a way and that too will take you know ages to sink into time as we know it i mean you mentioned philip k dick earlier a huge hero of mine um i was it in vallis who said all of this has been sorted out in the level of eternity it's just here it hasn't been sorted out yet that, for me, is a pure Gnostic idea. What are Gnostics? Those who are trying to find the knowledge to get them past this nonsense. Uh, right, one more crack at contemporary Gnostics, present company accepted. You know, well, yeah, because you know, I get, I'm in trouble all the time in this neck of the woods. Um, <laughs> yeah. Swallowing an ideology, swallowing an ideology does not make you a Gnostic. It makes you a believer. You know, so you've swallowed... Uh, the, the Abrahamic one, or you swallowed the, the Hindu one, or you swallowed the Buddhist one, or you now swallow a Gnostic one and then think you're a Gnostic and go around telling yourself you're a Gnostic. No, you're not. 
you're someone who swallowed a swallowed a body of ideas and you are not searching for the knowledge that sets you free. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Never a more Gnostic phrase has ever been said than that. Is that an answer, Miguel? That's a very good answer, and I love it. Yeah. I swallow that. <laughs> <laughs> the gospel of truth does say, you know, the yeah. aeons are appearing, and error came into their midst. Yeah. Whether it was a concept that had to be entertained or too far from the, you know, Bythos and Seji, the great silence and depth and yeah. the all mother and father and error came out and error is, she becomes the demure. She's a female character, but yeah. there's nothing wrong. It's just, it creates a fog over our senses and yeah. it's up to us to lift the fog and see, you know, that everything's okay. Everything's all right outside of this fog. So that's She's definitely outside a in or inside out, right? There you go. There you go. That's yeah. That's definitely the Valentino. Obviously, the Sethians and others took up a little more uh, punk rock, hardcore. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger versus the Predator kind of attitude. I don't know why I'm bringing that movie up, but I just did. So um, no, it was a great answer. My my dog got very excited here, David. She's like she's trying to wake up. You can well, wake up. <laughs> I'm willing to listen to the dog. Anyone that can give me further clues, I'm willing to listen to. <laughs> they are wise. Awesome. Events, any other questions from the audience? Or yeah, we got, we got um, a few. One I missed uh, from earlier from Children of Osiris. Um, do you think the idea of angels and women mating points the idea of sex magic and the idea of magical child, of the magical child? Sexuality is a force to create connections between embodied and disembodied entities. Yes. Next question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was a very clear question. It was very clear, and my answer to all of them is yes. Um, <laughs> I think the West is incredibly bad at sex magic. Right, this is coming from an unlikely source. Okay. Um, I uh, the minute we talk about sex magic, Big Al comes into the picture, Alistair Crowley, and you get all these images of Edwardian decadence and the devil rides out with Dennis Wheatley, you know, and they're all drinking incredibly dry sherry and up to God alone knows what in their, you know, in their country estate. And it's all great. Don't get me wrong. I used to know Christopher Lee. I used to know Christopher Lee. So it's oh, wow. oh God, he wanted that movie remade. He, he's the last couple of years of his life. The angels are resting, Chris, wherever he is now. Um, he was going around the major studios saying, look, with modern-day technology, with modern-day effects, it could make much better. And he never got his way, which was a shame. Wouldn't that be incredible? Mm -hmm. um, no, I mean, sort of, a, if you get the sort of Edwardian decadence uh, without the historical context, um, I've actually a lot of time, again, something maybe from an unlikely source, but Alistair Crowley, um, I think as a writer, he's absolutely super superlatively gifted um i love his voice he sounds like churchill on a bad day um i love his art i can't stand his poetry apart from my pan uh, which i think is has got an evocative quality to it um do i feel sorry that he burnt burnt everything away including his family's fortune no you had a choice big l i'm sorry nobody forced you to do it um you know, what was it, the rumour that's going around on his deathbed? The last thing he said was, I am perplexed. Well, I bet some born-again type came up with that one. He was probably too drunk or out of his head on something <laughs> to actually say anything. Um, no, I mean, we get... Oh, remember, I'm, I'm not main church. 
Um, if the church had managed to, in the West, uh, managed its own affairs better, you would have had native pagan traditions that would have been our version of Tantra, um, taking their rightful place by the side of these more Apollonian traditions. I have the church down as a sort of a series of Apollonian bodies looking for the ideal, and we can, we can all row about that, argue about that later. Uh, you know, you need, you need, I think, like in India, you need those more earthly and earthy traditions as well. In India, they feed off each other. There's not this compartmentalization. So my trouble with Western sex magic is either it's an excuse for a bit of rumpo, why not enjoy yourselves? You're only young once. Um, or it really is this sort of weird, convoluted, transgressive, you know, tense, possibly even psychotic, you know, meeting of people who are trying to use transgression as a means to achieve personal power. But that's not what you do in the Far East. That's not what happens in India. That's not what happens in Tibet. That's not what happens in Mongolia. That never happens amongst the Daoists in China, um, which are trying to use sex to, to, you know, rise up the ladder of consciousness and achieve oneness with the cosmos. So my answer is yes to all of that. And I think it, that the impulse is healthy. The fact we're all exploring again is incredibly healthy. The fact we're looking at those materials and practices must be done. Uh, but, you know, I'd say my own personal caveat is we've got to be a little cautious about the sources we're using and what they were intending. I mean, you know, if we look at Alistair Crowley's, um, oh, I can't remember because it was a poem in, in I mean, he was tied in with the Edwardian decadent arts movement. Therefore, what he was doing is largely from that perspective. I mean, one of his master poems, it's completely gone as I'm sat here, was, you know, the central figure. If you don't read the poem carefully, you don't get it. The central figure is walking through hell, uh, livid with syphilis, which is what he deserves, and he's enjoying every minute. And you think, well, is that what a sannyasin would talk about? Is that what the holy men of India would talk about? Even though they're most outrageous, I mean, they know how to be rebellious in mm -hmm. India. Um, no, because the whole thing is always about higher transcendent states. Uh, even the agoris, the agori ascetics, I mean, they are cannibals uh, when they get the chance. They go around beating people up when they all get together. Um, they uh, break all of the five taboos of Hinduism as a religious act. But people, you know, you've got to be careful of the ideology behind that. They are doing that as a form of release. Uh, they are trying to release themselves from all the bonds and boundaries and achieve enlightenment. Therefore, they're not saying we reject that goal and that state. What they're saying is maybe there's a quicker way of doing it, rightly or wrongly. And it is our karma to pursue enlightenment that way. That doesn't strike me. That's what the Thelemites are doing. Not all of them, some of them maybe. And it's not really what the Wiccans are doing when they're doing that. Um I won't mention the heathens at this point because they're normally drunk with that horn that goes around. You know, the <laughs> so I'm not sure they, they're sort of in the right frame of mind to do anything like that. But yes, you know, good on everybody. Just keep keep it enlightened. Keep it enlightened. Keep it happy. Yeah, I mean that idea of uh, salvation through transgression. That obviously you had the ancient Egyptians doing their sex magic, and then the Gnostic Carpocratian, Simonians, they really took that transgression. They borrowed it from the East, the sort of let's break out 
let's go against the rules. It's our karma. Let's experience everything. They had different tweaks. And of course, then later on, you had the Persian Mazdakites. You've got the, the Jewish Frankians and Shabbatai Zevi. So that sort of tradition is it's still in all traditions, except I think you meant except Christianity, except for the Gnostic. Yeah, the Carpocratians obviously believed in Jesus and the yeah. Simonians and all the sex magic wild party Gnostics. So, but you're right in Middle Ages and after that, nada, nada. You got to look at pictures of Mary Magdalene with her shoulder bare to get it to get excited or something. That's it. And, and not even then. And not even <laughs> you control yourself. Awesome. Any other any other questions oh, from yeah. the audience, Vance? Uh, oh, yeah, give, give it to us. Occult fan, Nate. Nate. Are Nephilim bloodline families working for liberation against generation generationally fascist opponents? Can you speak to the idea of the White Lodge? Wow. Um, is anybody working for liberation at the minute? I'm beginning to wonder yeah. in third world Britain. Um, <laughs> oh, I have heard those stories like everybody else. I've heard that the Nephilim families have written a nasty letter to the, what was it? Is it the three golden dragons or the nine golden dragons of China? Stop it or else. I've heard they've written to the Illuminati. Um, there's a lot of writing, letter writing going on. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, I think you two are claiming you're both an Illuminatus at the moment. Have I heard oh, that? Oh, card right? carrying, yeah. Right, good, good. That's good too. Um, my dear friend Leo Zagami offered me to be an Illuminatus. I'm sorry, I'm can't. I'm not rich enough. <laughs> oh God, on the journey to Italy, you're kidding. So no, no, no. Um, I would like to think there are healthy rebellious forces working for our freedom and the betterment of all. Um, if they are, if they are there and they are doing that, can they please do it a bit more obviously and a bit more powerfully? Because we're all beginning to sink between the, uh, you know, beneath the system now. Um, I've got to be careful because I don't want the show being challenged by the work brigade. I oh, think after really? recent socio-political events, um, we realise how much under the cosh we actually are, and how easy it is to enslave entire populations, uh, and their willingness to go along with it without asking many questions. That's the bit that's terrified me. Um, I hope that the Nephilim families are on the side of the good, whatever that means, I, and I think I can answer that if anyone's interested. Um, and I hope they're challenging the wicked powers that rule this world because they're proving to be wicked in a sense I never dreamt of. Uh, trying to reduce the human race to servitude is, is beneath contempt, and that is what is happening. Um, yeah, I hope so. But my dear friend, I hope so. Let's all keep the faith. Let's all sit in the streets and slap politicians and run around creating nausea because there's still time. There's still time. Will I be able to say that in five years? I don't know. Let's do it now or this time. <laughs> well said, indeed. Okay. New Age Luke has a question. Um, what about giants that are the size of hills and mountains that fight between Michael and the dragon that destroyed Earth way back million years or, or to the time of Enki and Enlil to the flood? Well, right. I mean, I put my personal cards on the table. <clears throat> I don't think you're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, physical entities. Um, you're talking uh, about something para-physical. You're talking about something metaphysical. 
Uh, and just because those archetypal forces can't be weighed and measured in the way this illusion of a world actually can be, we forget this isn't the real world. Even in Plato, the physical world is not the real world. It's the shadow of something else. Mm -hmm. um, so do I think they're physically embattled? Why, why would we diminish them to being merely physical? Uh, if they're physical, and I'm open to arguments, it's not my thing. Um, I would have thought in a world such as ours with the type of gravitational forces it has, my God, what would it be like to get arthritis? I get terrible arthritis <laughs> if you're that big. Um, and it could, is there any doctor in the world that could actually cure it? I would have thought that gravity and um, a number of other electromagnetic conditions would have made it next to impossible for them to stand up um, and eat and continue continue battling, you know, li living, let alone battling anything. Do I believe that those types of archetypal battles take place? Yes, I do. Um, and on planes of existence much more real than ours. Um, you know, a lot of these near-death experiences are very interesting because they explain their perceptions of what comes next as infinitely more real than here. That That's one of the you know, side materials of all that, that, that evidence that nobody's looking at. I think that needs to be looked at a lot more clearly and carefully. Um, yeah, uh, there are titanic, pun intended, battles going on in the worlds of the paraphysical, but as a good Gnostic, not in the world of spirit. There, there is no contentious error in the world of pure spirit. It is what it is. It, the bythos is the bythos. Maybe in the far reaches of the Pleroma, where it's already beginning to, to shake and shudder with lower manifestations of what all that reality actually is, shadows of the real reality, maybe that is beginning to allow that. But I'd think, no, you're looking at really low emanations uh, for these types of battles to take place. And I do believe they are on something slightly more than a merely symbolic level. You know, somewhere beneath, between, above, beyond myth and symbol and energetics, uh, you're looking at the reality of all of this. And yes, those battles take place in the same way that the gentle and kind Lemurians, uh, Madame Blavatsky's Lemuria, who were not physical in any way, shape or form we could recognise, um, nevertheless had intentions, they had goals, they had aims, and part of their descent into what we would call the worlds of matter was actually coalescing and battling through that. I mean, how on earth could that be described? Maybe in those terms. What, you know, we wouldn't have the intelligence that they had if you take that as real. We wouldn't have the range of non-sensory experiences they would have access to. We could only put that in the ways we're comfortable with, and a lot of that would sound like the armed conflict of, of physical human war. But maybe even then there's a lot, you know, something a lot more subtle going on there. So, you know, to paraphrase, yes, I do believe battles like that take place, but let's not always take them at face value because normally there's something going on behind those descriptions. And there you have it, you shining crazy diamond. David is such a wealth of esoteric wisdom. Much more in our second part. As I mentioned in the intro, and as a bonus for all subscribers, I'll include a robust dose of David Perry's last interview, where he focused more on modern Valentinian Gnosticism and heterodox religion in general. 
Bigly Gnosis, I say, I say. So please become an AB Prime member or Patreon at Patreon or Red Circle subscriber for the full dope and to support this Red Pill Cafeteria. It will cost you less than a buck per episode, and that's a deal of many lifetimes. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics are more important than ever in this Philip K. Dick world, and you just might accept we ain't ever going back to any old normal. This is our time, we high priests and priestesses of Hermes the god of thieves and Sophia the goddess of smugglers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.